Meanwhile, Saul breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And Saul approved of their killing him. This is how we are introduced to the person who would eventually become Paul, one of the most well-known followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. Here's another description given by the disciple Ananias. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Scripture also tells us that Saul sought out letters from the high priest that would enable him to become a vigilante, arresting and binding any person who followed Jesus to throw them into prison. It was quite the reputation that Saul had developed, and no wonder that many people were afraid to encounter him. So how did this person, who persecuted followers of Jesus, transform into one of the most devout disciples who would go on to write Romans, Galatians, Philippians, and more that have become part of our holy scriptures? Grab a Bible. You're on the table. I want you to open up to page 893. Uh, if this is a story that you have heard before, even if it, if it hasn't, I want you to just kind of dig in and see this story. So page 893, that is Acts chapter 9. You can see what Connor just read. So when you first read this story, there on page 893, I think that the thing that sticks out is this dramatic encounter Saul has on the road to Damascus. That's what grabs your attention. A blinding light literally knocks him to the ground. And then an unidentifiable voice begins speaking to him. Saul's companions are shocked, speechless. And all they can do afterwards is take their leader by his hands, since he cannot see, and lead him into town wait. Clearly, there's been a divine intervention, but they do not know what to make of it since Saul has been struck blind. And generally, losing your eyesight does not portend good news. All their plans to round up followers of Jesus and bring them bound to Jerusalem are upended since he literally cannot for three days and three nights, all they can do is sit and watch as Saul is paralyzed with fear, neither eating nor drinking. Then look at the second part. The second part of the story we learn about Ananias, a disciple who knows about Saul because of the massive suffering he has inflicted upon followers of Jesus. So flip back to page 891, 892. If you look at the bottom of the top of the bottom of 891, the top of 892, you'll see in chapter 7 and 8, the community had just lost Stephen, a beloved leader who distributed food to the needy. He had been stoned to death with Saul overseeing his execution. The warning spread about Saul's persecution as he dragged people literally from their homes off to prison. So when Ananias receives a vision from the Lord telling him to go directly to Saul and lay his hands upon him so that he can regain his sight, it is understandable that he mocks and reminds the Lord that this is the same 
guy who had been systematically hunting people like him down. It is not an overstatement to say that Ananias thought he was being sent into a death trap. Whatever arguments Ananias put up, however, were not enough to make the vision go away. And eventually, he found himself going to someone that he would ordinarily have avoided at all costs. It must have taken a great deal of spiritual discipline for Ananias to go to his enemy with the intent to offer compassion rather than retribution for all the harm Saul had perpetrated. He must have wondered if he was about to be imprisoned. I imagine that his arrival confused Saul's companions as they watched with hands ready on their weapons that Ananias walked over and laid his hands upon him, saying, Brother Saul, a radical proclamation of connection between two people no one else would have identified as siblings. But in that moment, Ananias becomes a conduit of God's grace as scales fell out of Saul's eyes, and his vision was not just restored, it was redeemed so that he could now see the person that he had sought to destroy was his brother, whom he belonged to. What astonishing love would bring Ananias, his enemy, to him, with hands of healing instead, instead of hands of vengeance. From this encounter, Saul's zeal was transformed into a faith that crossed boundaries that were once unimaginable. One that he memorialized in his letter to the Galatians when he wrote, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. This dramatic story of Saul's transformation, it is both compelling and seemingly impossible in our polarized context today. With news headlines constantly glaring the way that our world is falling apart, with people becoming more suspicious and more distrustful of people who are different from them. Well, perhaps the story feels like the stuff of fantasy. A recent national survey found that 75% of Americans believe the future of democracy is at risk next year with the upcoming presidential election. 23% support political violence up from 15% in 2021, which is a significant increase in a short amount of time. The narratives of us versus them, they have become even more entrenched with the othering of people becoming normalized. So normalized that it's to the point where violence is seen as this justifiable means and ways of responding. I think it is, to put it lightly, alarming. As people who want to follow Jesus, I think about this trend a lot. I think about it a lot for two reasons. First, I myself am very, very susceptible into falling into othering, with a cynical view of people whose worldviews oppose mine. It is easy for me to evoke feelings of contempt, disgust, and even hatred towards those who I think would wish me harm. Not proud of it, but it's true. Second, I cannot get 
the voice of the Lord out of my head. The one which keeps saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when I hear a story like this from the book of Acts, it becomes clear that Jesus was not just talking hypothetically. He actually meant it. That is why we see Ananias not only go in person to Saul, but make a physical connection when he lays his hands on him in an act of mercy and compassion. It is meant to be instructive for us. We, too, are called, like Ananias, to go and make connections with those we would rather avoid. Not to argue or berate them in the ways that we think they are wrong, but to literally be a conduit of God's grace. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting you go out immediately after worship today to your worst enemy. Remember that Ananias had been praying and he received the vision. This was somebody who had been spiritually disciplining himself when the Lord told him to go. It does mean that we need to train our muscles, though. We need to open ourselves up to discerning how God might be telling us to go somewhere to someone we might not otherwise choose ourselves. I think we also need to draw upon the Spirit's creativity to unravel our perspectives of otherness so that our vision can be restored into seeing that we do indeed belong to each other, that even our worst enemies are beloved children of God. There is so much reductive possibility if we only put our energy into dreaming in this kind of way instead of into violent, breaking down kind of people way where we other them. So let me just share one example. In 2019, Momondo, a Danish travel search engine company, commissioned a unique art project. It was called World Peace, P-I. And it was to, quote, send a message to the world that there are more things uniting us than dividing us. All it takes is an open heart and mind and the courage to connect as human beings across cultures and borders. So what they did is this. They invited people from all over the world to come together and embody a connection by becoming a human canvas for a single unbroken line tattoo single unbroken line tattoo designed by Iranian artist Bogaji. So 61 people were chosen from different countries, from Denmark to Ecuador, the U.S. to Uganda, Israel to Palestine. They were ages 19 to 70, and they represented 70.3% of the world's population. So after they had this design, they got the tattoos locally in their own country. Then they came together for the first time, meeting each other in London. So let's watch to see what happened. If you're curious, you can go onto the website, you can see the little bios of each of the participants in it. It's pretty moving. And Haiga uh, was the one who was talking about being drafted and he's from Israel. There's also a Palestinian in the room, which I'm pretty poignant in all this time. What possibilities might we dream up to unravel otherness? Can we begin to change the narrative of us versus them into one where we begin to recognize that we belong to each other? What would it look like if we trained ourselves to be conduits of God's grace? And 
we schemed ways to forge connections to the souls in our lives in a creative disruption. How might the ripple spread out through our community and into the world? Friends, let us take heart from this story from the Book of Acts. This story of unraveling that happened between Saul and Ananias. For it was in their unraveling that God's love was made known. May we be a people who become unraveled in the same way, so that we can begin dreaming. Amen.